This series is uh, about Unify. We've looked at it all year, literally since the first week of June. And we began spelling out the word Unify with the word understand and talked about that for a few weeks to, to learn to understand one another if we want to be united people. The second, the N is for non-dual. That is to not push ourselves always to extremes and this side versus that side and, and uh, to never find room in the middle. And to be non-dual is to say, no, let's, let's not do that. Let's listen to one another and, and find a, a third way through. Include is the I, to include all people the way Jesus did, to love all people the way Jesus did. Forgive is the F, very important. The center of the gospel, the center of the Lord's prayer itself is forgiveness. And then Y is for yearn. So to put these various aspects into practice in our lives, to yearn that they, that they happen, to yearn for them. Last week we looked at yearning for integrity from Psalm 15. Today, yearning for healthy conversation. Many years ago, there was a young man sitting outside his summer camp cabin. It's a place called Twin Pines. A lot of you are familiar with that place. I talk, speak of it a lot because it was a big part of my growing up experience, especially as a young adult. And there was a, one of the counselors responsible for a group of little boys inside the cabin who were there for the week. They were a younger group, so they had already gone to bed. It wasn't real late, but it was dark, and the, the boys had settled down and fallen asleep. So he just sat outside within earshot of the boys so he could hear if something happened, but he was you know, just relaxing outside in the quiet. And then someone came um, walking up to him who he knew, a familiar face he saw every day. It was the head counselor. So this young man is the counselor. This is the head counselor. So he is, has some level of authority over, over the counselors. And uh, the counselor at the cabin kind of knew what was coming. So the head counselor kind of walked up a little bit sheepish and said to the junior counselor, So, uh, how are you doing tonight? And the counselor replied to that, Okay, Paul. That's not why you came here to chit-chat. What's up? <laughs> so in that story, I was the head counselor. And the young man I had talked to was one of the counselors I was, you know, had authority over. But it was one of the first times in my life that I was given authority of any kind of structured authority like that. And so I was learning how to do that. And although I knew that counselor very well, we were friends for a while. Now I was... I was one of, like, just the year before, we were both counselors. But now everything shifted because now I have authority over him in some sense. And I was trying to work that through. I didn't want him to get upset at me because my, I valued our friendship. But I also had a job to carry out. And the basic part of it was it, it, he didn't do anything terrible and evil and wrong. and had to send him home, nothing like that. It was just some... Some things that, that we were catching our eye as leadership, thinking, you know what, he's got to straighten out a little bit here. Maybe he can build, be a little bit more proactive there. I honestly don't remember what the specific circumstances were, but I do remember the conversation because when I came to him and said, how you doing, he knew there was something more and we had to talk at a deeper level than that. And he didn't say that like he was offended or anything like that. He said, come on, Paul. I, let, let's talk. What, what do I have to do? And that was his attitude, and we are friends to this day. But 
Difficult conversations are never easy. And it seems as if our lives, our world is loaded with difficult conversations or the need of them or the avoidance of them because of the pandemic and all of the various things we are supposed to do or not supposed to do and how bad it is or isn't. And because of the presidential election last fall and which side you feel won and didn't and which one you supported and where things are going to go from here and is the country better or worse and, or just, and, and the whole political climate over the last you know, several decades, really, but it's all kind of come to a head in the last you know, four or five years. And, and so we have all these people in our lives that before, perhaps, we always got along. I mean, there was an occasional dust-up or disagreement, but we all kind of, yeah, went on and agreed to disagree. But that agreeing to disagree thing is getting harder, isn't it? And sometimes impossible, and people construct these barriers. And how do we have conversation? that doesn't end up in that place of back and forth, that dualistic framework instead of the non-dualistic one. Jesus gave us two great examples of how to have healthy conversations. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at, at both of these. <clears throat> Nicodemus, <clears throat> in chapter 3 of John, and the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. And so, just real briefly, I already read the story of Nicodemus. He's a, a Pharisee in the ruling council. He came to Jesus at nighttime, and he sort of cut right to the chase and had some questions for Jesus, or just, you know, and then Jesus uh, talked with him and engaged him in a conversation. All right? And we'll come back to the details in a moment. In the next chapter, it's a very long chapter and a great story, and I refer to this one frequently, the woman at the well in a Samaritan town where Jesus is visiting with his disciples and he sends them off to go get food for lunch and he's alone there at this well with this woman and he initiates a conversation and she's kind of taken aback by it at first but he hangs with it and engages her in a conversation that has a really big impact not on just her life but many other lives. Okay, so again we'll come back to the details but that's what we're going to kind of set up side by side here in order to help us learn how to have better, healthier conversations in our lives. Why was this a hard conversation, each of these two? Well, first of all, the, uh, the woman, excuse me, Nicodemus on the left column there, it was a hard conversation because there was religious and theological problems or differences between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees normally, when they were mentioned in, in the Gospels, most of the time it was not a good circumstance taking place. There was a question that they were asking Jesus to try to trap him with, or they were accusing him of something, or they just outright wanted to, wanted to have him arrested or killed. And, and that was a, a constant presence, of, was, was that that attitude to try to push Jesus down because they felt threatened by him. And also because, it, and it, it wasn't just the religious climate, it was the theological. And I separate those two words because um, 
religion is, is sort of how you practice your faith. Theology is why, okay? Theology, study of God. Here's what we believe God is or isn't, and here's, here, here's why. But then religion, and now how's, here's how we're going to carry out worshiping this God, connecting with this God, honoring this God, spreading the word of this God, okay? So the theology was different because the Pharisees believed very strongly that you obey the rules and you're on God's good side. If you disobey the rules, you're on God's bad side. It's, it's kind of that simple, but then they complicated it by taking the rules, the law of Moses, and then having the people look at, that, at those laws from Moses through their lens, their own writings, their own interpretations. And that was an ongoing thing for, for centuries, really, that had continually pushed them away from the heart of the law that God was trying to get across. And, of course, Jesus ultimately would fulfill and, in effect, replace the law, the way to God, through faith in him. Instead of a sacrifice once a year taken into the Holy of Holies, it was a sacrifice given once and for all by him, and all of that was still to come. But this man, Nicodemus, had some openness in him, even though most of the Pharisees didn't. Okay, And then this was a hard conversation for the woman at the well because of historical and political factors. It was in a Samaritan village. Jesus is a Jew. The Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Why? Because of history. Because of way back when, in the Old Testament of your Bible, there was two kingdoms in the Old Testament, the northern kingdom, which maintained the name Israel, the southern kingdom, which took the name Judah. In the southern kingdom was Jerusalem and the temple, and they kind of had the upper hand. And then after this split in, in the Old Testament days, after the reign of Solomon, basically, they stayed split, and they both had their separate kings and eventually even their separate temples. And, um, but there was always resistance and sometimes even wars and dust-ups between all of these Jewish people. They were just two separate kingdoms where they all could trace their lineage back to, 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 the, to the sons of Jacob and, and to Abram himself. And yet, they didn't get along. And by the time you got to Jesus' day, it was downright hatred between these two groups of people. And, and there's other reasons for all of that, and the woman touches on this in the conversation, but there's, there's history and, and just the political reality that because the Jews held the power over the Samaritans, then there was a lot of anger and animosity and putting people down. And so they sort of, they, they tolerated them on the best of days. And on the worst of days, they just flat out hated them. And it went both ways. So Jesus goes into this village and sits and talks with this woman. So there's historical problems and there's political problems, barriers between them. And what are some of these other obstacles then to having a good conversation? Well, with Nicodemus, it was his reputation. It says in John 3 that he came to Jesus at nighttime. Why did he do that? Maybe because he didn't want to be seen by his fellow Pharisees talking to Jesus. That could be true. But there's a second aspect of it, and that's access. Jesus had crowds around him every day. And, and if you have someone you want, something that you want to say to someone in private, and there's people around kind of going like this or just standing there, it makes the whole thing awkward, doesn't it? 
In fact, it's sometimes just downright not appropriate because you want to have a one-to-one talk. So in order to have a one-to-one talk with Jesus, he had to overcome obstacles, find a time and place where he could do that. And he, he did accomplish that. For the woman, the obstacles were social norms. She is a Samaritan, he's a Jew. That's one barrier, obstacle. She's a woman, he's a man, another barrier. He shouldn't even be talking to her in public just as as a man and a woman, unless it was his wife or daughter or mother or something like that. But if it was not one of those categories, then you shouldn't be talking in public. That could be scandalous. Jesus said, no, I'm going to do this. And then also, as the story goes, we learn that the woman had a bad reputation. So of all the people Jesus picked out in that town to talk to, it should not have been her, according to the way most people would think, including the disciples. So this was... The, the obstacles that, that Jesus was willing to overcome and to have this conversation. And then who initiated these conversations? Well, it was Nicodemus in the first one. He came at night. He took the initiative to go there. He started it. And, and, and that's a good thing. In the conversation with the woman at the well, it was Jesus who initiated it. May I have a drink of water, please? He initially started it. Now, what those two have in common is, and this isn't all conversations, okay, but sometimes it's helpful to know this, all right? Ask yourself this question. Is one or the other people in this conversation in some form or another in authority over the other, okay? Not that that makes them better or smarter or even right, but there's a structure that is in place, and if that's the case, It is the person in authority who should take the initiative. Now, if the other one does, that's okay. And we'll get touch on back to that in a moment. But so, for example, when I began this, I talked about being a head counselor, having to talk to a junior counselor. So I was the authority. I I was the one that needed to address that. It wasn't my job to wait around for him to realize the bad habits he was having as a counselor and then, you know, or let them get worse and then talk to him. No, it was me as the authority that had to step in. Nicodemus had authority over Jesus in this way, okay? Obviously, Jesus, the Son of God, ultimately is an authority over everything and everyone, but in that moment yet, he hadn't fulfilled all that he is, and although people people knew that he was special and that he was sent from God, Nicodemus himself says that, but he still has an authority... um, structure that he's abiding by, that he is a ruling elder in, among the Jews, and Jesus, although a respected rabbi teacher, still is technically under his authority, okay? So Nicodemus initiated. Jesus being the authority in the sense of one people ruling over another. Sometimes authority has a form of oppression in it. And while the Jews and Samaritans equally didn't like each other and get along, it was the Jews who had the upper hand in that relationship. So in that way, Jesus took the initiative to start it. Now, that doesn't mean if you are in the inferior position or the oppressed position. That doesn't mean you can't and shouldn't begin a conversation or initiate it. In fact, Scripture has examples of that, and I think one of the best is Esther. If you know the story of Esther, she had to go before the king, who was her husband, she as a queen, but 
she was putting her life on the line in order to save her people. And she risked everything going before the king, initiating the conversation that would lead her to revealing in his eyes the corruption that was taking place behind his back to try and destroy all of Esther's own people. And so Esther took the initiative there. All right, so, so this is kind of a general rule that, that's helpful. And, and the reason I bring that up is because sometimes you have a person you need to talk to and they know it and you know it and you probably both kind of want to but no one wants to go first. No one wants to jump in. Now, in a friendship relationship, there usually isn't an authoritative kind of structure to work with, so just, just pray and go for it, okay? <laughs> but sometimes that's helpful that if you have some kind of a, a position there that, that could uh, help you to be the initiator, then, then go ahead and do that. <clears throat> Next question then is, with what tone did the conversation begin? I mean, it's one thing to start talking and, and to break the ice, so to speak, but it's another to have it be, have it come across gently enough that it can continue. So Nicodemus, being the initiator of the conversation, what does he say to Jesus? He speaks in a very respectful tone. He acknowledges that, Jesus, you've done some amazing things. You have to be from God. You, 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 you know, we don't quite understand, but, but he, he's respectful toward Jesus. When Jesus begins the conversation with the woman, it's a simple request for a drink of water. Now, in that woman's mind, she's probably thinking, and she knew right away that this was a Jew. They understood. They dressed differently, and they talked a little bit differently. So, she knew that this was a Jewish man at the well, and she probably just wanted to get her water and get out of there as fast as she could. And if that man was going to say anything to her, she might have expected it to be more like, hey, lady, get me something to drink. I'm thirsty. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't going to talk that way, but she might have expected him to talk that way. And the fact that he didn't talk that way. The fact that he was a simple, polite request kind of set her back a little bit. So the tone that you begin these conversations with is, is vital. It's not even, in some ways, it's more important than what you say because you can have the best prepared words, but if they come across wrong, then you, you destroy it from, from the get go. So the tone is, is also vital. What was the first response to those opening words? So Nicodemus acknowledges Jesus' authority. And what does Jesus do? He engages him. He doesn't say to him, Ah, you're just buttering me up, Nicodemus. Oh, sure, you're going to set me up and knock me down. And sometimes the Pharisees did that. Sometimes they would come to him, Lord, we know that you are a great teacher. You come, You have great authority, blah, blah, blah. Hey, tell me, is it right that we should pay taxes to Caesar? See, there wasn't any gentleness in those words. It, 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 was, it was kind of a um, sort of a, a, a condescending uh, tone to, to what they were saying. They, they were being, um, you know, what's the word when you just, you know, patronizing to, toward Jesus. But that wasn't Nicodemus' tone, so Jesus responded accordingly. 
And he engaged him right away into a conversation. They jump right into it. And I think because, let's assume for a moment that Nicodemus wanted this to remain one-to-one for all the reasons already mentioned. So, so he wants to get into it right away. We have limited time. Let's, let's talk. Let's get this going. We're not going to, you know, talk about the weather and the other, what you had to eat for dinner and all that stuff. That's all fine to have those talks, but right now, let's get to the heart of it. And, and that's what Nicodemus did. And Jesus engaged him at that level right away. And then with, um, with the woman, though, her response to Jesus' request for water, she went right to polarity, right to dualism. Wait, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Who are you to ask me for water? And most times that would stop it. That conversation was dead in the water, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> or dead without the water, because I'm not going to get you that. We don't talk. We're not supposed to talk, okay? So she went to that. But how was the conversation then kept alive? Now, in the case of Jesus and Nicodemus, it was off to a better start. And Nicodemus, when Jesus gave his first response, talking about being born again, didn't take offense to that. Didn't, you know, try and set Jesus up for, you know, all the reasons that you're wrong and you have to obey the law of Moses. Here's the ways you disobeyed the law of Moses. Here's the many times that you disobeyed the Sabbath law, etc., etc. He didn't do that, okay? Because he was already engaged in the conversation. And most notably, Nicodemus was teachable. Even though he was a ruling leader among the Pharisees, he respected Jesus, was open to Jesus, and he had a teachable heart. And so when Jesus started talking about being born again, that was a new way of putting things. It, it kind of intrigued him, and he and it kind of took it at that level. What do you mean? I, I, I can't go back within my mother's room and be born again. What do you mean? He, he knew, obviously, he wasn't talking in a literal, physical way. But what does that mean? He wasn't put off by that. He didn't say, well, that's not the way God is, and I'm out of here. He stayed open. He stayed teachable. Um. As an aside, that phrase, born again, this is the only time you find it, okay? Now, it's good. It's helpful. It, it, is, uh, it is one of the most common ways that people characterize their, their experience of salvation through Christ, that I was, quote-unquote, born again. Sometimes people ask it, when were you born again, okay? Now, that is one of many ways to describe salvation through Christ. It is not the only way. It is not the superior way or the best way. It is just one way. Okay? So, so don't get too caught up with just born-again language. Okay? It's helpful. It's good. But there's many different entry points that we can understand this salvation opportunity we have in Christ. You know, through Christ to God. And, and born again is, is, is one of them. For the woman then, um, now, Jesus kept the conversation alive. He, wasn't, he didn't engage her at the Jew versus Samaritan level. He didn't argue about why the Jews are right and the Samaritans are wrong. He didn't go there at all. He stayed with the water and said, you know what, I can give you living water. And that intrigued her. She had to come to this well every day. That was one of the women's job in, the, in that culture. And to this day in some third world culture still is. To go to where the water is and bring it back home for all the reasons we all need water. 
And so that's what she did every day. But he intrigued her with that. What? Living water? Perpetual water? How do I get some of that, buddy? And, and the defenses went down. And the Jew-Samaritan thing just at least got pushed to the side for the moment. And, and she was open because Jesus found a way to keep the conversation alive. <clears throat> How did the conversation then get to the heart? With Nicodemus, Jesus focused on belief. It's more than about obeying rules, Nicodemus. It's more than about teaching about the law. And that has its place, and that's important. But ultimately, it is about believing in the one that God sent. And this passage, I stopped intentionally at the 15th verse of John 3, because that rolls right into the 16th verse. Again, that most probably familiar of all Bible references, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And he goes on to describe it a little bit more. And so this was the, the heart of the issue, it, to, to focus on believing, not on doing. It is with us and God, it is not about what we do, it's who we believe in. And that is a very important distinction to understand in our hearts. If we are trying constantly to do it the right way, to say the right prayer, to, to, to be in the right place, to do, 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 and some of that is helpful and useful, but unless it leads you into the heart, it's really going to just get frustrating. We need to believe in the one God sent. To believe that his love for me sees all of me in, in all of my goodness, all of my badness, all that I have in my heart, all that the rest of the world sees, and all that no one sees and knows but me. God knows and sees it all and still loves you. That's belief. And that's a courageous decision to make, to believe that I am loved and forgiven by God through Christ. And it's not about obeying a list of rules or doing it right. And sometimes we have to relearn that. We fall back into the, into the law and those patterns. So he gets to the heart of the issue with Nicodemus by focusing on belief. And then he gets to the heart with the woman by getting to her real need. And so as the conversation goes, at one point he appropriately says, well, why don't you go get your husband and we can talk a little bit more about this. And then she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, you in fact had five husbands and you're with another man now and you're not married to. So he knew her need. Her need wasn't to settle the argument between her people, the Samaritans, and Jesus' people, the Jews. And she also tried to divert the conversation at another point where she talked about the right place to worship. Jews believe in Jerusalem. We believe it's up on this mountain. And there was one time a, a couple of centuries, about a century and a half before Jesus, where um, the, the priest at that time in Jerusalem gathered an army and went up and destroyed the temple that was on the mountain in Samaria. And that stuck with those people, and they remembered that. 
You won't find that in your Bible, by the way. That was evidence from outside the Bible, but it's an historical, you know, uh, truth. And so, but but that entered into the animosity and the anger between these peoples. So when she brings up this question about the right place to worship, they never rebuilt that temple. The Jews wouldn't let them. They had the upper hand. But she's Jesus goes beyond the Jew and. Um, Samaritan label. He goes beyond the place of worship. It won't matter one day, he says. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Those are the worshipers God has in mind. It's not about a place. It's not about a location. It's not about geography. It's about where your heart is. That's what he said to her. He gets to her real need. You are a broken woman. You've had all these men in your life and it's fallen apart again and again and again. Now in defense, we don't know. Maybe some of those men died and she had to get remarried. We don't know. But the sense of it is that this was a very broken woman from a lot of broken relationships. And that's what he gets to and he does it in a way that she's not offended. That she's not resisting. What was the result then of those conversations? With Nicodemus, he put his belief into action. Those two references are the other two places in John's Gospel where you'll find this man, Nicodemus. In the seventh chapter, the Pharisees, the, the, the anger and animosity toward Jesus by the Pharisees as a whole had come to a head or was growing that much more. And they had this meeting and they wanted to find a way to arrest and kill him. And some of the Pharisees in the group said, hey, wait a minute, he's one of our own, we should at least have a trial here for him. And the voice that said that in John 7 was Nicodemus. So he had this conversation, because it doesn't tell us how it ended, or it doesn't say that Nicodemus had a change of heart and he became a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't say that, okay? But it does seem pretty evident that what Jesus did say to him had an impact at the heart level that he defended Jesus before the other Pharisees. And then in John 19, this is after Jesus was crucified and had died. There was, there was a couple of people that took responsibility for his body, which according to the Jewish law, the Pharisees would be big on that, there was a way to take care of the body and, and, and to, to prepare the body for burial. And they did that. That was Joseph of Arimathea, who also basically donated his own tomb where Jesus would rise from the dead rise from the dead from, but then also Nicodemus was with him in that. Now think about that. What it really should have been, the people who should have taken him down from the cross, taken charge of his body, taken off the burial, should have been the disciples. They were the ones that were with him every day. They were all off hiding. They were scared. So who took the body of our Lord? A couple of religious leaders, including Nicodemus. And that was set up, that kind of love and dedication, even though it was terribly sad at that point, began back here with that conversation. The woman at the well. And again, John, um, John 40 is a long chapter. And it's a great story. But if you jump toward the end of it, you go to the 40th verse. Um, I'm going I'm to pick it up at, at 39, actually. So, so this is after the conversation that Jesus and this woman had and it says in the 39th verse, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. That started because of a conversation between Jesus and a woman and who simply said, could you give me something to drink? And what's the end result? A town that when they got there didn't even want them there but had to tolerate their presence, hope they would get out of there as fast as they could. They don't like them, they don't trust them, and just because they are Jews. And they ended up asking this Jewish rabbi to stay. And he did. And many believed all because of the conversation with that woman. What are conversations that heal? What can we learn from these examples of Jesus? If we want conversations that heal, whether it is that, that tension one, tension-filled one that you put off and know you need to have, or it's just on an ongoing basis, how we converse with people. What can, what can build relationship? What can, can help us lead our relationships to better places and bless you and the other? Well, first of all, begin. Get it started. And then, as I mentioned earlier, that question of, if you're not sure who's going to break the ice, then if you have a position of authority in that relationship, go ahead, you do it. Okay? And then recognize what the obstacles are between you and her, between you and him. And, and acknowledge them. Don't, don't you know... Don't avoid the elephant in the room. Talk about it. Give it a name, you know. Uh, Harry the elephant. I don't know, whatever, you know. But, 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 and, and, and sometimes it helps to sort of make fun about the thing that, you're, that fills the tension. But, you know, just, just begin. And, and make a plan to begin, but just begin. And what I mean by that is when, if, if you're going to finally have that conversation, don't plan every detail. Don't think, okay, I'm going to start with this and then... They're probably going to say this in response, and then I'm going to be ready to say this, and, and you, you're just jumping right into the back-and-forth ping-pong game that nobody wins, okay? But you need a plan to start, okay? And the tone's important, and, you know, what you choose to begin with, and, and you know, so, so those are ways that we see in Jesus' example of, of how to begin that healing conversation. And then as you proceed through it, acknowledge the surface problem, but don't stay there. The woman brought up the, the Jew-Samaritan thing, and Jesus even addressed it a little bit later, but they didn't, he didn't make that the focus. He didn't make that the center. Yes, that's there. Yes, that's why there's animosity, but let's just set that aside and get to know one another on a personal basis. Same with the worship issue and the location, okay? And he, seek to get to the heart. If you have someone that has very divergent views from you politically, okay? If you can have that one-to-one, listen. Here's why I think this. Here's why I support candidate X and not candidate Z or Y or Q or whatever. But just whatever, just, just listen. And the next one follows is very important. Never condemn. Never condemn. When Jesus heard, pointed out the woman's sinful past, <laughs> did he condemn her? Is there, is there any condemnation in the fourth chapter of John? No. Is there any condemnation to Jesus toward Nicodemus? You're one of those Pharisees giving me a hard time all the time. What's the matter with you? No. And, and even from Nicodemus, there wasn't any condemnation toward Nicodemus. 
you know, to Jesus, which was common from the rest of his, his sect of people, the, the Pharisees. So don't condemn. And then lastly, if you both leave the conversation willing to speak again, you have both won. If you go into a conversation expecting victory, expecting that if I prove to him or her that I'm right and they're wrong, then I have won. And no, the truth is there, you have both lost because you haven't improved the relationship. But if you are able to continue the relationship, and if there's something glaringly obvious and wrong about their, about their life, about their position, let God show them that, okay? Let God work on them. But what you need to do is, is, is to be their friend. You can raise it up in a kind of gentle way, and you know you'd both disagree about it, but if they're not ready to hear, they're not ready to hear. And you can't make them hear, and you can't change their heart. Don't try to. It only makes it worse. But if you're willing to keep talking, you both win. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Give it hands and feet and voice and ears in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.